This is global. These players are icons, their stories are noble in fact. Each story into the game is gotten. It's way more than just a game. It's a player's story into the pitch and all that she overcame. It's football 2019 and this is its brand new face. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. What's up, friends? My name is Monkey. And I'm Heath. And this is Football Inside Out, a podcast from Copa 90. We're coming to you every day from the Copa 90 Clubhouse in Paris. Come swing by, uh, bringing all the excitement from the 2019 Women's World Cup in France. And here's what we've got for today's episode. We hear from Scottish forward Lisa Evans. Really, really cool. The man in the know, Ellie Menjum, is bringing you everything you really need to know about Chile and Thailand, the two underdogs in their group. But first of all, we've got a little recap from last night's games. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. So, five things you need to know about going into today. Number one, Orange Army. 13,000 Dutch fans danced in the streets of Valencian uh, as they celebrated a win. That's a lot of fans. That's a lot of fans. There's some amazing videos of them online, sort of dancing side to side and chanting. And also dressed like... Carrots. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thousands and thousands of carrots. Yeah. They're good for you, so I'm for that. Uh, number two, Canada and Holland go through, making it six teams now that are in the knockout rounds, making up six of the 16. Ten to go. Yep, uh, but number one spot in their group is still open. Ooh, so that's really interesting. Number three, Miedemar, absolute G. Only 22 years old, became European champions, all-time top scorer as she registered her 59th goal this season and the 60th international goal to eclipse Manon Mellis. Is that real? Yeah. I didn't even hear when you were saying that earlier. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Record in just her 77th cap. She is a massive presence in front of goal, by Yes. The way. I think the, ti- the title I saw was she-, she could break all the records. Humble brag. She responded to my posts on Instagram. She did? Yeah, she threw me the happy face uh, back. Ah, what? It, it also, that's cool. It feels a little bit worse when you just throw the happy face because that's what I do to people when I don't actually respond to them and be like, thank you. I just oh, throw shit. That. Just chuck the emoji at them. That'll <laughs> well, make them feel good. At least you got emoji and no. not just like a, a double click like. That's true. Uh, number four, pregame tailgate. The U.S. versus Chile, the American outlaws, are going to have a massive tailgate before the match. I was actually at their pre-pre-party tonight, mm. and there was about a thousand of them in a restaurant. Sick. Like They came. They saw. They will tailgate. Ate some food. Yeah, they were eating <laughs> chicken wings. Uh, but no, they were, all, they were all really, really excited, clearly on like, well, the ones of age. Uh, clearly on a few days of uh, having a good time. So, Are you going to go? Tomorrow? Yeah. I don't know if I'll make it to the tailgate, but I have been to some American outlaw tailgates. You have? And partook. Okay, this is a whole other conversation. Yeah. Number five, going into today. Uh, the matches going into today are Sweden versus Thailand and USA versus Chile. Who do you got in those? Sweden and the USA. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, that was a silly question. Yeah. Really. Um, <laughs> Chile, though, I would like to see them put on another good performance. Uh, But yeah, obviously, Sweden and US. But now we're going to get back to the rest of the show. Here's Ellie with the inside score. This is what you really need to know about Chile. Chile head to their first ever World Cup, having qualified off the back of a Copa America Femenina campaign that despite being hosts, even shocked the biggest supporters of the team known as Las Chicas de Rojo, or the Ladies in Red. But despite the run, which only saw one defeat to eventual winners Brazil, despite the impressive 4-0 romp of Argentina that helped them finish second and qualify, despite the strong squad that predominantly play in one of the world's best leagues in Spain, 
and despite a brilliant manager in Jose Letelier, who won an astonishing 10 titles in a row, as well as a Copa Libertadores with Colo Colo's women's team, the entire Chilean setup is still only relatively stable after a tumultuous few years that saw the team not play a match for an entire three years. And whilst the hope will be to replicate the 2018 Copa America run, the truth is the Chileans are arguably the minnows of the group and a realistic aim would be to pick up a point here or there with even a third place finish, a fantastic base to build upon in their debut tournament. But here's what really matters when it comes to the Chileans. Inside, Inside school. school. Whilst they won't admit it, it really wouldn't be a stretch to say that for Chile, just making France is already a huge achievement. That's because only three years ago, as a football-mad Chile basked in patriotic glory in the wake of a second successive Copa America win that saw a second successive final defeat of Lionel Messi's Argentina, the national women hit a devastating new low, having had their FIFA ranking removed and being declared inactive as a result of their three-year absence from competitive matches. This issue, however, wasn't exclusive to Chile, but more of a symptom of South American society's patronizing attitudes towards female sports, as at that stage, more than half of the continent's 10 female national teams had been given inactive statuses by the sports governing body. But unlike some of the nations, the Chilean women weren't having it. And led by Iona Rothfield, a Chilean striker at the time, they founded a new organization known as ANJUF, a Spanish acronym for National Association of Women Football Players. The union of sorts was formed to not only challenge the state of the national team, but the extreme mismanagement of the 20 or so women's clubs in the country, where stories were coming out of even the biggest clubs forcing their women's sides to train in parking lots to keep the grass in shape for the men's teams. But out of the darkness came light, and within two years, Anjuf's efforts had kicked off a set of changes, with Six Santiago Morning becoming the first club in Chile to award professional contracts, then Chile winning the bid to host the continent's biggest female tournament, Copa America Femenina, and after more than two years of inactivity, the Chilean national team returned into the field in front of more than 10,000 fans to thump Peru 12-0. The real turning point for most, however, was the Copa America Femenina, where despite objections to the tournament being held in rural cities as opposed to the capital Santiago, with football fans from the smaller cities, usually always starved of seeing their national team, choosing to embrace the tournament for not just the Chilean team, but all matches. This outcome, coupled with huge TV audiences embracing the first ever tournament to be entirely broadcast on public TV, saw General Secretary of the Chilean Federation, Sebastian Morenon, state that the Federation planned to capitalize on the success of the tournament by modernizing the league, offering more player contracts and securing medical insurance for all players. Morenon told one interview, despite assumptions that the cup would generate little interest, the experience has proven the complete opposite. And whilst the odds are against them achieving much at their first tournament, if you consider the fact that only two years ago this team didn't even exist, trying to predict what they get up to in France is really anyone's guess. Whatever happens, any decent result would depend on the performance of team captain and PSG goalkeeper Christian Endler. Already boasting 12 years of service for her nation after making her debut as a 15-year-old and as a member of that heroic Anjouf Union who helped turn around the sport in her country, It'd be fair to argue that at 27, Enla's already done more than enough for her game. But knowing that many on that union never made it as far as the tournament she's about to grace, Enla probably already has her sights set on taking the Chilean women's game to the next level. Football Inside Out by Copper 90. So there you go. Ooh, <clears throat> I've been talking every day, clearly. Chile versus the USA today. 
they got beat by uh, Sweden in their last game and face a really big test again. They weren't bad. I, yeah, they weren't bad. When that first match happened against uh, Sweden, Nadine Nadim was in the clubhouse yeah. and right away she was like, if they're going to, it's funny because she didn't hear our inside score, but she was like, if they're going to do well, it's going to be because of Inler. She's such a baller of a goalkeeper. It took, um, I read something that they, it took Sweden 20 shots on goal to get the first goal. Yeah, she made a lot of huge, huge saves. They could probably get some points out of this group still. I would not write them off. It's got the recipe for disaster coming off of the US playing Thailand and then playing against a Chile that's really going to perhaps bunker in, scrap, play aggressive, things like that. I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but there there is a chance that Chile could could Yeah, against I can see them getting points against Thailand. I just don't know against the states, man. Like when I was going to ask have they played each other before, but I'm actually not sure and they yeah. had such a big timeout as well that I'm really not Three sure. Three years. Yeah. But I feel like they're going to bring the fire. Yeah. Like they're going to have fire in their belly. It's one of those things and during that inside score they talked about how there was a big like uproar that they put all the teams in the, in the small towns around Chile as opposed to in the big city of Santiago, I believe. But then it turned out being a huge success. And it's, it's a really unique balance. And you see it around a bunch of nations. A lot of nations have one national stadium that they play all the games in, and it sort of spoils the big city or wherever that city is. Sometimes it's not a big city. But playing matches around is how you help grow the game. I think you see that a lot in the women's sport where they constantly play in new stadiums in their countries and around because they are sort of ambassadors for growth. Yeah. Why do you think in um, the States, like soccer was almost more of like a women's game for a long time? Or it was just more popular for women than it was for men? Why is that? Is that because like the NFL and basketball and baseball, they're just so big? Yeah, I I think it's a, a, a place to dream, right? There was nobody and there still really hasn't been anybody on the men's side. We have Christian Pulisic now, Freddie Adu when it happened, but Landon Donovan, Clint Dempsey, a few throughout history. And then you look before that, like Kobe Jones, Alexi Lawless. These people were pioneers, but it wasn't like they were on the global level of of superstars, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas one, participation-wise, it was easy to get... It's it's easy like youth participation. I think is is equal from from the young ages. Everybody plays, but then people move off onto other sports because they enjoy them more, or they're better at them, or they feel like they have a better chance as an athlete to play professionally or yeah. achieve their dreams. Right? Like, what's the poster on your wall at home when you're a kid is usually the route. You know, people. You know what I mean? Winning like, things. yeah, yeah, basically. You put Michael Jordan on your wall, yeah, and then you aspire to be Michael Jordan, even if you'll never ever get close to that, or even playing collegiate or professionally, you still aspired and therefore were driven by playing that sport. Yeah, in the UK, it's weird, right? Because like, it's still very, like, I still get asked some weird questions when people find out I play football. Not, and it, and it's never it never comes from like a bad place. So. For, okay, for example, I'm trying to think of the most recent one. I played like um, a, like a co-ed match, uh, like a corporate thing at Stamford Bridge. And obviously, majority of our team were like lads. And after the first match, they realized that I, could, I played football quite well. And one of them was like, oh, you, you, you play football? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I play football. And he was like, where do you play? Do you play like five-a-side? And I was like, no, I play for a, like a, an 11-a-side team. And he was like, oh, you play, you play real football? And I was like, 
yeah opposed to that fake <laughs> football, fake football that we all yeah. play like yeah. really strange but that's like it is like the outlook or when I've been to a match like a Premier League match sometimes I get dudes trying to explain the offside rule to me and I haven't even asked them I was like I, I'm not I've kind of played long. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, can't they like pick it up and run with it? But like, they just they just do because they just assume. It's really strange. Yeah. It's like so bizarre. I went to an LAFC game recently and I had the exact opposite of there was this girl had played soccer growing up and was like, didn't know who I was, but I was sitting next to her at the game because it was a friend of a friend. She was explaining to me the significance of this match between like the coaches <laughs> and they don't like each other because there's all these things. And I just sat quietly going, that's... I had no idea. That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I can see how that's pretty pandering to assume. It's a little bit different in the US though. I think it's like 30% or more of every stadium attendance is female in MLS stadiums. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah we have like almost 50% of the like ultras are led by female capos. So like the people that are doing those <laughs> really? chants are no female. Like that's I think it's cool. almost, almost 50% of those. It's just a very different sport you know, in, in the U.S. and the way that just women are regarded within football. We, we also, as men in the U.S., have no ground to stand on as, as, as footballers or football fans because literally the, the dynasties of sport have mm. come from, like, globally, have come from men's basketball and women's soccer. So they are, like, traditionally champions in every home. You know about the Dream Team. You know about the 99ers. You know about 2015 with the Women's World Cup. Those are the people we aspire to be. So they, right. they hold, they're held in a different rega- regard than it being like comparative of quality or who's better or who's worse. And so there's just a different level of respect, I think. Uh, yeah, for I, th- it. I think it's just um, more accepted for women to be athletes in the States than it is in the UK. Not accepted in a sense where like you're not allowed. Well, it, it's just there's a lot more financial backing and it's like you're pushed to play sport more, I think, in the States. Whereas in the UK, you do an hour of PE a week at school if you just go to state school, and that is it. But aren't they changing all the initiatives to, like, double the amount of participation in youth football on the female side in the UK? Like, isn't, it, isn't there something happening? Or can't the Lionesses go on to win a World Cup and be sort of the, the North Star for saying this is why sport should be even yeah. more inclusive and important from a young age and not just from like now we're famous. We want to, we want a trophy, but in terms of like personal development and youth development and developing as people's like the importance of getting kids off of their devices and playing in team environments. Yeah, no, I think, I think this would be a great like sort of flying the flag for young girls to see what they could possibly do. Cause what's that saying? It's like, if you can't see it, you can't be it or something. Yeah. Um, But that's pretty true. Like, I didn't know I could do radio until I listened to a woman radio presenter doing specialist music. And it was like a a light switch just went off in my head, but I didn't even realize it. I was just like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Let's give it a go. I was talking to Martino, one of Copa 90's hosts, and just he's he's one of these guys that's really into sort of just the political side of everything and seeing things just from a very, very different perspective. And he was talking about it excitedly a couple of days ago about how amazing it's actually been for him to follow the themes of a World Cup from start to finish in a sport that he didn't know, right? Players he didn't know and really be in it from the start and see it from a perspective of like not saying how does the quality on the pitch compare to the men's game or making it this like gender comparison, 
but actually saying finding the things that make it cool to you, right? Yeah. In the same way that we as fans of sport all have our different reasons. Like the, the hipsters in London support MLS clubs not because they're like, this fucking quality, you know? Like <laughs> I, I watch this because like behind the Premier League, it's MLS. It's because it's a community thing. It, it brings them in for different reasons, whether it's a type of kit or a personality or th- there's so many adjacencies that bring you into the sport. And he was, we were just talking about how unique it is to sort of find your own theme within the sport and this world cup of starting from the beginning, you kind of have this, not the beginning, but the beginning of this tournament, you kind of have this unique perspective of feeling a part of it and you sort of get to shape your own interest in it. So you don't have to be the diehard. You don't have to be into the stats or the tactics and you can still really, really enjoy the stories behind some of these women, the, the, the tournament play, the atmosphere, the community of it, all these types of things are the things we should be judging the sport on, not on its comparison to like apples to apples, right? Because it's just completely different in the same way that if we compared everything to the Champions League final, nothing would ever live up to it or the World Cup final, nothing lives up to it. But there's multiple leagues that we all support in different ways for different reasons. And that I think was a really, really sort of healthy conversation we had about an entry point into why all of this is so cool. Yeah, it's a bit of an open book really, isn't it? I feel like it's a bit less judgmental. Like I think that sometimes women or girls get scared to talk about football in case they say something wrong, like because they didn't remember a goal from 1994 in the 92nd minute, right? And someone would dig them out for it because that's very much like a laddie thing to do. Like, no, mate, that wasn't the thing. And like, maybe they would get put off by that. But I feel like the atmosphere at this World Cup is a lot more inclusive of everybody and no one's going to care if you didn't know a stat from the 90s so it's quite refreshing to be honest it's not about the expert analysis it's not about these things and that's what's been really really fun is i've sort of found my own love for it and i go back to 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 loving the women's national team since 99 and luckily i had that around as as sort of the thing that teed up my interest but it's just really cool there's so many cool things to like about it that make me now excited to watch Cameroon play Holland and not because I'm working in it because now I've, I know about all these types of things and I'm not watching the match. I rarely watch matches to judge the quality, right? Mm. I, I, I've played in leagues that n- matches where people don't want to watch because you're like, this isn't what I want because I'm comparing this to the Champions League final. I'm comparing it to uh, Barcelona playing Real Madrid, but people watch it for their own reasons. And I'm not saying the quality is, is, is poor, whatsoever in any of these places it's just having a place that you can go and and find your reasons for liking it it's been a really fun journey so far yeah definitely i don't go to watch national league matches for the quality go for this because it's a good crack hey i heard some lad upstairs yesterday in the clubhouse say um he was talking about a chilean women's player and i I can't remember for the life of me which player he was talking about but he was talking to another woman and he was saying that when he was younger he would see her play and she was his hero which I thought was really sweet because I don't think I've ever heard that before. But this goes to, if you can't see it, you can't be it, right? We talked about Ada Hegeberg, Alika Martins, for example. I've seen her everywhere on social media for how good she is at Barcelona. Never seen her play. Yeah. That is the, you can't see it, you can't be it. It's It's that exposure of knowing this is the time that you can really get into it. And then it's up to FIFA and the federations and all these things to continue to make it globally available to people because it's really fun. Yeah, I think it has to carry on after this World Cup. I really hope. Right, so uh, we have got our icons. And this time it's from Lisa Evans. Copper 90 90 icons. icons. 
I am Lisa Evans and I play for Arsenal Women. I have been playing football since I was seven years old. I played in school with the boys probably until the age of 16, 17. And then I played for Glasgow City women's team where we took part in Champions League. We won a lot of league titles. And then I got a move to Germany. I played for a team called Turbina Potsdam. So I played there for three years. I moved over there at the age of 18, 19, I think. I played there for three years. And then I moved to Bayern Munich. Played there for two years. Won the German Bundesliga. And also represented both teams, Turbina Potsdam and Bayern Munich, in the Women's Champions League. And then I got a move to Arsenal Women. I've been there two years in summer just been absolutely amazing obviously this year we've been crowned WSL champions I think for the first time since six or seven years I don't think the club's had a, a league title so that was really special for me the first time that I got a call to say that I was in the women's national team I think I was 18 at the time got the call from the national coach at the time Anna Sinial someone had pulled out I think with injury and she said to me that I was getting the chance to come and potentially play my first cap and I just remember my mum and dad being absolutely buzzing and couldn't wait to go there and show what I was all about so yeah Obviously there is differences in terms of representing Arsenal and the Scotland Women's National Team. There's just always that side of the patriotic, passionate energy that you seem to get from nowhere that just comes when you're just representing your country or singing your national anthem. I remember the Euros against England, although it wasn't the best score that we ever had. Don't want to talk about it. Just singing the national anthem in front of the crowds, in front of mums and dads, just how emotional and overwhelming that was. It is a different feeling, it's a different buzz, but I mean, again, also representing Arsenal, pulling on that Arsenal jersey week in, week out is an absolute privilege and you sometimes forget how lucky and privileged you are. The most surreal moment for me in my footballing career has definitely been the moment where we qualified for the World Cup, just the way in which we qualified. We were relying on Switzerland to drop points against Poland and we knew in our last game if we beat Albania we would have a chance. Still relying on Switzerland to drop points and I just remember after the game all the girls running on. We'd won our game in Albania 2-1, scraped it by the skin of our teeth. Everyone was crying, we've qualified, we've qualified and just that feeling, just that sheer emotion of everything that you've worked for in your footballing career to actually go and qualify for the first World Cup. I know it sounds easy when you've got the likes of England and USA who do it year in year out but for a nation like Scotland when our men's team hasn't qualified I don't think for the last 20 years and for us to do it um, our first ever World Cup is just absolutely amazing and by far the, the most surreal moment that I've had so far in my footballing career yet without a doubt unbelievable I can't even put it into words it was just that good honestly so so good I think football's kind of just taught me that, yeah, I'm not a serious person. I take myself very, very lightly and I, I have fun and a joke, but I think I do have that switch where I can turn on and be really serious. So at training, I can just absolutely switch to a different person and just have that focus and determination and almost become a different person when I'm on the pitch. It's, it's mad. Obviously, the time in Germany that I had, I learned to be totally independent. I relied heavily on my mum and dad for a lot of things. And moving over to Germany, I think, showed me that I had to get my own way through life. And that was an experience I'm forever grateful for. So I have a few hobbies. I like playing the PlayStation. A few of the girls, I always play FIFA with them. We've always got a PlayStation with us, so otherwise just kind of normal stuff going away. I love cakes, I'm going to admit it. I have a cake at least once a week because it's just my treat that I have. I'm really lucky to be part of the Scotland Women's National Team. We have a really good group of girls and we're all really close and we get on really well. So I just spend a lot of time with the girls, um, go away and have a coffee, just kind of get out of that footballing environment, just totally switch off. 
I also like naps a lot. I spend a lot of the time napping. There's a lot of downtime in terms of waiting around and just relaxing and just trying to get away from it all, just kind of getting in your own bubble, if you like, and surround yourself with the things that make you happy, I guess, more than anything. I actually do vlogs for the We Play Strong campaign. It's basically just an initiative that is for women's football to encourage younger girls to just pick up the ball and play football. By 2021, they want to make women's football the most chosen sport for younger girls. So I love to be a part of that. I basically do weekly vlogs, as it's called. So just short videos of just content from training, from games, from behind the scenes in the changing rooms to going for a coffee, meeting up with friends. It can be really anything. It's about on and off the pitch, kind of what I do. I think it's really good to give people an insight to actually how lucky you can be and what you can do nowadays in women's football. It's just absolutely massive, the opportunities that are out there. So I think the team to watch out for in this tournament is going to be France. You saw their men's team do it. So I think the support is going to be absolutely massive for France and the players that they've got, obviously Olympic Lyon, now in the Women's Champions League final, I think they've just got a really good core of players and they've got a massive squad. We have quite a tricky group. I'm quite nervous to play against Japan. Just the way that they play, they're obviously hugely experienced. I feel like they turn up for every single World Cup. I think the England game, obviously a massive game. It's our first game at the World Cup. I'm hoping that game just takes care of itself and we can get a good result. But I think Japan will definitely be one to watch, just the style of their play. And I've not really played against Japan, so that'll be really interesting. If I wasn't a footballer, I studied at sports science, so I've always been interested in sport. I think probably just something along the lines of that, maybe even physiotherapy or something in sport fitness that's always interested me. So yeah, something in sport. I'm absolutely football obsessed, so hopefully something in football. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. So there you go, Lisa Evans, a perfect example of if you can't see it, you can't be it. Lisa Evans there repping Scotland in the national team and she would have never have watched a woman represent the national team on Scotland before her. So she is paving the way. Yeah, it's an amazing opportunity. Clearly one who's, you, you can tell she's, she vlogs because she's much more comfortable talking. Talking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people. She's <laughs> yeah, very yeah. comfortable, very confident. One cake, uh, one cake a week? That's not bad. Yeah. So Are we talking like a piece or? 52 cakes a year. Or like a whole birthday cake. It like, really depends because when she said that 
she loves that. And she said one cake. I thought it was going to be one cake, one cake a day. And I'd be like, yeah, me too. You know, I actually like, went through a period of time of eating like a piece of cake a day for like two months. Were you ever a stress eater? It was a dark time. N- no, but maybe in that period of time I was yeah. <laughs> clearly. No, no, I've never been a stress eater. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, why did you do it every day then? Actually, I was quite stressed that period of time. So now I'm looking back, maybe I was a stress eater. The last sort of couple months of my career, I was eating and I didn't know it'd be the end of my career, but I was just stressed out about where it was. Like physically, I wasn't getting back to the level that I wanted. I wasn't getting the playing time I wanted. It was just all sort of for me, the first time that I felt not in control of my career. I was playing for Gothenburg and I was yeah. buying a small bag of like sour candy uh, every day. I was eating a uh, shawarma pizza every day for dinner every day. And like covered in sauces and things like yeah, that. Yeah. And then candy. And then I was having like a box of Pringles at night. I and then I realized you, um, what stress eating is. I saw you bring back a pack of sour candy the other day. Are you okay? I'm fine. It was just one. That, oh, th- that thing? It was like triple <laughs> the size of that. Like it was, it was like where when I was buying it, because it's like the self-serve in Sweden. Oh, that yeah, yeah, yeah. When I would go and they would weigh it, they would look at me like I was going to like like a friend's house, like I was buying enough candy for everyone where it's like, yeah. don't show up empty handed. Therefore I went and filled up a giant bag, but it was just for me to go back and watch Netflix and a show called Welcome When to did Sweden. you like realize we like looking yourself in the mirror and you're like, Heath, get it together, man. Well, it all kind of came at, at a really crazy time because I had gotten food poisoning and the flu at the same time. And I was re- eating really, really clean. So I was eating a very, very low carb diet at the time. And so I was eating a lot of fish, a lot of vegetables but then after that, I woke up the next day and like all of that, like the last three days of meals, gone. Could n- I could never, ever imagine eating them again for like an entire six months. And so I first started just like eating food to eat food. And then it was really good. And then it was like I was stressed because that carried into the fact that I didn't play in the first game. I had food. I had food, like I was sick. So mm. I missed the first match. Then the team went on a 15 game unbeaten run. And so I was like very out of lack of control. Like I couldn't be like, like, let me play because you don't change a winning squad and all that type of thing. So it was just like a a never ending thing that I realized I'm stress eating every night and had to to get back control. I gained like 10, 12 pounds. Get back in control. Over what period of time? A few months. We we, we had to weigh in every morning. I was still, I was still putting in my, the old weight, but I was definitely seeing a different weight. Yeah. (laughs) Do you have to weigh in every morning? Every morning. Yeah. I was talking to some of the girls and they have to do a pee test every morning during tournament to check hydration. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if you drink just water, you overnight, you won't be like, you'll still fail your, your sort of hydration test. So you have to have some sort of things that can keep the water within the muscles, which is like salts and sugars that help keep electrolytes in the muscles. The problem is, is that people don't want to have sugary stuff or stuff that actually you need to help keep the muscles uh, like saturated. Yeah. And so you drink water, water, water. You go, you wake up in the morning. You're like, I'm not hydrated. I keep failing these things because there are other things. There are other supplementary things you need to keep that uh, water in, to keep that water in. Otherwise it just comes in and goes out. Hey, we have another inside score and I'm really, really intrigued about this one because I I tried to do a bunch of research on this team, but I couldn't find much. So this is Ellie with Thailand. Thailand appeared at their first World Cup only four years ago, where despite the only points and goals they picked up against fellow minnows Ivory Coast in a 3-2 win, the Chabakeo, as they nicknamed in Thailand, left with their heads held high in the knowledge that they were only at the beginning of their journey. And right they were. 
as they qualified for the World Cup once again off the back of an incredible Asian Women's Cup campaign that saw the Chabakao pick up their best result in 32 years with an astounding fourth place finish. But even fourth place doesn't do justice to just how good the team was. Where Thailand were only minutes away from the final before tournament favourites Australia equalised deep into stoppage time, eventually prevailing on penalties. Now how the 34th ranked Thais replicate their impressive Asian Cup run in France is honestly hard to imagine, especially when their group opponents include 1st and 9th place USA and Sweden. But with a squad who know each other inside out, thanks to the fact they play almost entirely together in the local league, and with skipper Sinister Scrante song revealing that the players have been stalking their opponents on Instagram, a couple of points here or there wouldn't be completely out of the question. Unlikely, but possibly earned, against the US side who share more online than arguably any other squad in the tournament. But here's why you should care about Thailand. Inside, Inside school. Upon returning to Thailand from their incredible Asian Cup run, the Thai team found themselves welcomed at the airport by hundreds of new fans who stayed awake until the early hours to welcome back a team who had given the Football Mad Nation a taste of success they have so continuously craved but never been given. But amongst the brilliant noise, colour and scenes only a Southeast nation like Thailand can create, of particular focus was Tanikan Dangda, the star of Swedish club Ostersunds, who for too long in her home country was just known as the sister of Tirasil, one of the highly decorated stars of the Thai men's team, who also became the first Thai to play in La Liga when he earned himself a move to Almeria in 2015. Having also played at Man City and trialled at Atletico Madrid, the prolific forward also won the 2012 Thai Premier League Player of the Year award and has earned nearly 100 caps for the men's national team, which meant the shadowy cast over Tanikan was always going to be hard to escape. But with nine goals in 16 appearances for her national team and now about to head to her second World Cup, a tournament her brother and his teammates have still failed to qualify for, Tanikan has carved out a celebrity of her own, not only performing at last year's Asian Cup, but scoring both of Thailand's goals at the recent Cyprus Cup. And if she can do the same in France and become a World Cup goalscorer, there's no doubt a similar, if not bigger reception will await her and the team upon their arrival back home, where cheering amongst the crowd will be Tirasil, the brother of Tani Khan. So there you go, Thailand. I really hope they don't get a smashing against Sweden. I feel like if I had listened to that preview before the US match, yeah. I would feel... It's so easy at times to like... When it's competitive matches, you you try to not humanize people because you're like, I stand on one side of this competition yeah. and they're the enemies. But then when you humanize them, you start to feel, it feels a lot more real 13-0. Yeah. That it's like, these are just a, a, a group of girls playing in the Thai Premier League and competing really hard. And now I feel guilty. I mean, I, don't, I saw a tweet uh, go out when that match happened and it was something like it was from another athlete I can't remember which and it was something like the US are here to win they're not to make they're not here to make you feel good about it which is true you know but you can't help it <laughs> when it's 13-0 you can't help it yeah I don't know I just want them to get a goal yeah. like just a goal you know a goal would be nice for the fans I really hope so it, it, it was so f- they were so far from that that I'm hoping <laughs> That, yeah, were you know what I mean? Like it, it was, it was, it, so far it, was it was, it was really lopsided and I don't know. That just shows the gap as well in, in like in a women's world cup between the top team and one of the bottom team is so vast. Like that's sort of what a lot of the arguments were was like, don't blame the U S women, blame 
FIFA. Blame yeah. the lack of infrastructure, the lack of money being pumped into these countries and these 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 national teams and and the development of sport in those countries. Blame the governments. Blame those things and use this as an example as to why not as like a wins versus losses, but like the the, the vastly different levels um, because of the lack of resource being put into developing those players. Yeah, it will be interesting. It'll be an interesting game. I hope. I hope it will be like, like a six-one. I can maybe a five-one because we said five. We've both experienced five. Let's go five-one. I did a five-one against Mexico in a final of a Gold Cup that I lost, and I think about it all the time. You lost five-one. Lost five-one. It might have been six-one. I don't even remember the score, but hey, it's look. against Mexico in the final of the Gold Cup, like the Gold Cup that's happening right now. Final against Mexico, our, final. our heated rival, nil-nil at halftime. We gave a penalty. They ran up the score. It was in like giant stadium, mm. NFL stadium, but it was all Mexicans there at home. No, it was away. That was an away game. 100% away game. I like 95% of that stadium was, was Mexican and the ooze and the Oz and the Olays started. And that is the only thing that I can remotely remember feeling like absolutely humiliated in real time. But it was in the U S but it was just in the US. more Mexican. Fans. Yeah. And it was in a final and it was against our rival and losing that much. I will never, ever forget. And other people will never, ever forget. What year was that? 2009. Do you remember the date? I'm seeing how much it's scarred you now. Do you remember what the weather was like? It was really hot. Like the <laughs> on pitch level, the on, the heat on pitch was like close to 100 degrees. Was it that like synthetic? Was it like synthetic grass? No, it was real grass, but they had just laid it. Uh, right, okay. Like a few days before, so it was like really f- heavy and flat. So the ball didn't like certain bounce. areas. The ball didn't bounce well because it was in squares. It wasn't like rolled out full pitch. Yeah. And it is a nightmare for me to think about. You still think about it? Uh, yeah, it's, it is. That's the tournament we're supposed to win because that's the one that gets you to Confederations Cup yeah. and, and whatnot, even though you do two of them every cycle. But it, was, it bothers me a lot. And the circumstances were different because it's a rival. Obviously, there's a lot of like crazy interwoven issues with US and Mexico that it always intensifies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a day that I would like pay a lot, a lot of money to have erased from my brain. Just men in black. Men in pen. black, yeah. Don't great. remember anything. Remember um, what? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is the that's the fourth dad joke of no, this tournament. You teed me up Come for that. On. I didn't. I didn't go out looking for that joke. You put me into that put one. Put a euro okay? in the dad joke bar. Lucy, oh? before this episode, our producer was like, "Just Heath, give in to all of all, all the moments," and that's what I did. And now I'm getting like ostracized. For no, this. I quite enjoy the dad jokes. I'm just taking the mic. Um, that's it. That's all we have for today. Again, that was football inside out, and we'll be back tomorrow. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen to podcasts, so you never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, please leave us a review. And out to everyone that has left us a review so far. Have you left one? Uh, no, but I did give us five stars. Nice. I got to leave a review still too. But uh, subscribe to the daily newsletter that's going out during the tournament. Head to copa90.com slash WC19 and click or tap on Copa90 France Daily to sign up. And get in touch because we'd love to hear from you. Send us emails and voice mo- voice not moats, notes to footballinsideout at copa90.com. We'd love to share your thoughts, criticisms, love, hate on the show and tweet us using the hashtag copa90insideout. That's it for us. See you tomorrow. Bye. Copper 90. Football inside out.